listening to Matt Loves Cameras. Film cameras. Instant cameras. And everything analog photography related. I've been shooting films since 1994, but it wasn't until this year that I tried a technique that was new to me, pushing colour film. In this episode, I'll explain what pushing film is, how to do it, and I'll talk about my results. Also keep listening for readers' letters, an update on the purple grain zine, details of a new competition, and much, much more. I'm Matt Murray, and this is Matt Loves Cameras. my friends how are you i hope you are well wherever you are all around the world welcome to another episode of matt loves cameras episode 49 of matt loves cameras and i do apologize there's been a little break between episodes i have actually been working on episodes 50 and 51 and 52 um so yeah i i'm sorry for the delay in getting this episode out but they will become more regular as we get into september and october i've got a few episodes up my sleeve almost ready to go now as i said in the intro, I'll be talking about pushing colour film in today's episode. So I'll get onto that shortly. But first of all, just a couple of things I want to mention. The Purple Grain Zine. The orders have been coming in thick and fast for the Purple Grain Zine. I think there's around 28 pre-orders in total now. And so I have got your money. Don't worry. I'll actually go through the people who I've got money for. So it saves me uh, sending you all individual emails, which will take a while. So Adrian Doyle, Jessica Hall, Hobbs, uh, Jack Bulkley, Eric Vandrick, Paul Hopper, Dave Mahali, Kevin Brown, Arjon Benales. And not only did Arjon buy the Purple Grain Zine, Arjon also bought Every Summer. So that'll be going out as well very soon to you, Arjon, in Canada. Uh, Clayton Sharp bought one. He bought a couple of extra copies, actually. Of course, he was the winner, Clayton. And he's bought a couple of extra copies for his family. He'll be getting one free from me, of course. Uh, Lisa Brinkworth, Mark Thompson, uh, Robert Rubin, Dale Willits, Holly Holly Northover. I know who that is. Uh, Zachary Cyphers, of course, in Seattle. Akia Fry here in Queensland. Chris Coker, uh, Michael Bartosek, Kevin Dillon, Ken Bertram, Jenna Frost, Calliope over there in London, uh, William Gordon, Ken Tuomi, William Foster, Alan Marr, uh, Duncan Watson, Colin Taylor. I think that's it. I think Cole Taylor was the first one to, to get the order in. So there you go. So that's all of the names. I think I've got everyone there. If you think you've paid for a zine and I did not read your name out, let me know. Um, but don't worry. I've got a very good record keeping system here. I, I get all the emails and of course, uh, PayPal let me know when the money rolls in as well. Um, so there you go. That's all the pre-orders so far. I think it's 28 or 29 or something like that. We'll also be getting, uh, of course, I've got to get a copy for Clayton Sharp, a free one for him because for winning the competition, I've been sending one to Kate Grout and of course I'm getting one for myself. I'm not really getting any extra copies. So this is pretty much your last chance. If you want a copy of the Purple Grain Zine, you need to pre-order one. I'm almost finished the design of the zine. I'm a little bit behind, but I'm almost finished. I'll be finishing that and sending it to the printer around the 22nd or 
22nd of September, say, let's say that, 22nd of September. So if you want to get a copy of Purple Grain, make sure you get your order in by the 22nd of September. This is your last chance. I'm not ordering any extra copies. So if you miss out, you miss out. Now, the zines will be sent out in early October. So hopefully some of you, well, definitely if you're in Australia, you'll get yours by Halloween. And hopefully if you're overseas, it'll only be two or three weeks, uh, hopefully. I mean, it could be up to a month maybe on the postage, the shipping, but um, hopefully you'll get them late October, early November. Now, there should be enough, uh, I've sort of worked out how heavy the zines are going to be. So there should be enough weight allowance in the envelope for me to also pop in some postcards and either a Matt Loves Cameras sticker or a very special limited edition Matt Loves Cameras fridge magnet. Uh, they actually look very similar. They're both about the same thickness. Uh, the fridge magnets are very thin, but they're really cool. They're obviously magnetic. They stick to the fridge. So um, you probably, the people who've ordered uh, zines off me before who've got stickers, they'll probably get fridge magnets. And everyone else will get a sticker. Um, but if you really, really want a fridge magnet, just send me a message uh, to mattlovescameras at gmail.com and say, hey, Matt, I've ordered the zine. I really, really want a fridge magnet. And uh, yeah, I'll pop one for you in as well, uh, as long as I've got, I've got enough supply of those limited edition <laughs> magnets. Now, one last thing before we start the episode, I just want to thank the Ko-Fi or coffee supporters over the last few months who have generously donated to the show uh, to sort of, you know, keep... Uh, things running of course it costs about uh, I think it's about 120 US dollars a year uh, for the my podcast um, what do you call it podcast hosting and also I just have to pay my uh, website hosting which is uh, about 170 US dollars a year to keep the website up and running uh, with the reviews and and stuff like that Uh, so thank you so much to the following people thank you so much to Eric Erling I think I might have already um, thanked Eric maybe did I I can't remember. But thank you so much to Eric uh, in Sweden. Cole Taylor here in Australia. Thank you so much, Cole. Clayton Sharp. Uh, Clayton sent me some money for those extra zines that he bought, but he also added a couple of few extra bucks. So thank you, Clayton. Uh, I've got two mystery people. They sort of remained anonymous, um, but their names are Christopher and Jonathan. I won't say their last names, uh, but Christopher and Jonathan, thank you so much for your Ko-Fi or coffee donations. And last of all, Chris Allen. Um, Chris Allen actually wrote a really lovely message uh, for his and he put enjoying your podcast found you a week ago and I'm going through a few episodes each day <laughs> wow <laughs> favorite episode so far was I dream of cameras with a close second being the Polaroid road trip cheers uh, so thank you so much to Chris Allen uh, for the generous uh, I think it was $15 coffee donation from Chris and if you'd like to help out here are the deets To support this podcast, why not buy our dad a coffee? Visit coffee.com. That's ko-fi.com forward slash Matt Loves Cameras. And buy him a coffee for just $3. So let's get on to today's episode, Pushing Colour Film. But before we sort of start talking about that, let's go down memory lane and I'll start talking about what I used to shoot when I first got into photography. Here we go. As you've probably heard on this podcast before, 
I bought my first film camera in 1994, just before I set off on a two-year working holiday in the UK. I knew nothing about photography, and I didn't come from a family that did. So I went into the camera store. It was actually like a duty-free camera store, and I had a set budget, and I told the person that I wanted to buy a compact camera with a zoom lens, and it had a remote control for selfies. I had a little tripod as well. I also wanted it to be weather-resistant. I was going to the UK and of course it it rained in the UK all the time so of course I would need a weather resistant camera. I came out with the rather bulky point and shoot the Pentax Zoom 90WR. It does have a lot of features though it's a pretty cool camera and I enjoyed using that for two years and I shot dozens and dozens of rolls of print film all over Europe and I sent back the prints and the negatives back to my parents here in Australia. Now towards the end of that two years I actually did a one week youth conservation camp in a tiny, tiny little hamlet in France with people from all around Europe. It was like an environmental project. And, um, you know, I was, I had a Greenpeace t-shirt back in the day. I was, I was a real greenie. And uh, we went to this tiny little French village and uh, we got told that we were going to restore the local railway and uh, we were going to turn the railway track into like a walking path and a cycling path for the for the residents, which sounded really cool. It sounded like a really good project to work on that would benefit the community. But it was kind of also built as a conservation camp, uh, which is kind of weird because for the first four days of the camp, all we did was cut down trees. Uh, so it was very strange. We sort of cut down the overgrowth of this cycle path uh, and it was pretty cool. Um, but one of the farmers as well. One of the farmers found all the, we found all these tires on the railway, the disused railway, and one of the farmers set fire to the tires. Uh, so here's me and my Greenpeace t-shirt and, you know, well, we're cutting down trees and uh, farmers setting fire to tires. Uh, so it wasn't exactly, you know, that environmentally friendly in, in retrospect. But one afternoon though, towards the end of the camp, I noticed the English guy, uh, you know, on the camp, he had a, a small compact SLR and he was taking photos just by himself of the sunset and the fields and stuff like that. So I went up to him and I said, you know, like, what are you, what are you doing, man? Like, it doesn't look like you're taking photos of anything. And he said, oh, well, you know, I'm taking photos of the field and the sunset and, you know, I've got to change my shutter and my aperture depending on I like the light, the available light. So my camera does like a meter reading and um, I change the aperture and I was thinking, oh my God, this guy is a nerd. Why did I get into this conversation? He's the most boring person. And I sort of walked away, but I sort of, I kind of, I don't know, I also had like this kind of respect and admiration for him as well. You know, he, he was really into what he was doing. And I thought, hmm, maybe I should, uh, maybe I should get into more into photography. And then when I got home, uh, probably a few months later, I had a look at some of the photos I'd taken and some were pretty good and others were, were t- completely terrible. And so I was thinking, hmm, maybe that English nerd that I met on that conservation camp, maybe he had a point. Maybe I should be learning more about photography. So what I did then was I sold my Pentax Zoom 90 WR and I bought a Canon EOS 500N, which is like a, a Kiss or a Rebel, I think it is. It's basically the entry level Canon SLR that you could get back in the day. In around 1996, this was by then. And it had a zoom lens, a very sort of slow zoom lens. It wasn't a particularly good one. Uh, but then I really enjoyed taking photos with it and learning about all the camera's features. And I bought a, a longer zoom lens because I like. I like a nice telephoto. 
And then I got sick of switching the, the zooms back and forth on the one body. So I bought another EOS 500N body. So here it was now. I had these two SLR cameras with two zoom lenses. And I really dreamt of becoming a travel photographer. That's what I really wanted to do. So I sort of thought I had a, a pretty basic good setup to be a travel photographer. Um, not particularly advanced or amazing cameras or lenses. But hey, you know, I was only like 21 and 22 at the time. Now, despite this being the heyday of film... I only ever shot with those EOS cameras and a couple of different film stocks. I used to shoot uh, Kodak Gold print film. And then later when I did some more traveling, I shot on Kodak Elite Chrome, which was kind of like uh, Kodak's consumer slide film. It was a cheaper one. It was still pretty damn good though. Um, like I said, I dreamt of becoming a travel photo journalist. So when I had a trip planned across Thailand, Malaysia and India, I bought an absolute stack of Kodak Elite Chrome, like 50 rolls and all I went bit of a funny story really um the reason I got 50 rolls was because my ex she actually worked at Kodak here in Australia as a temp and I found out that she actually had access to the Kodak staff shop now if my partner now my wife if she had access to some kind of film um sort of stash at work you know which was cheaper than normal oh my god it would be the most exciting thing ever back in the day like in the late 90s it wasn't I don't know I was kind of excited by it but I don't think I was you know that sort of excited but nevertheless, I did say to her, look, you know, to my, to my excesses, I said, you know, can you get me some film from the staff shop? I want some uh, Kodak Elite Chrome because uh, I didn't I didn't shoot Kodak Chrome. It was a bit too rich, sort of rich for me back then. And she said to me, oh, OK, sure. Like, how many rolls do you want? Like five. And I sort of gave her a weird looking face. And she said to me, 10. You want me to go and ask for 10 rolls of Elite Chrome? I was like, um, actually, I want a few more than that. And so I, I put my order in for 50. I think she was very, very embarrassed having to go to the staff shop and buy 50 rolls of discounted Kodak Elite Chrome. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, she did come through for me. And I think I think they only had like 40 odd in the end. I don't think they had the, quite the full 50, um, but it was a few dollars cheaper per roll than if I had to buy it myself. So uh, yeah, it, it, was, it was a good deal. Now, being relatively new to photography, I was just interested in learning about the camera, all the functions it did. I did long exposures. I tried to do shallow, you know, depth of field on some shots and then, you know, shooting at F8 for other scenes. And I really did, like I said, I wanted to become like a travel photographer. Uh, but the one thing I didn't really understand was like, you know, the whole DX coding thing. I understood DX coding, but I thought, well, you know, there's, I think there was a function in the camera to change the ISO speed of the camera. Like, why would you want to do that for? I really did not understand. Now, as I said, I was shooting a lot of slide film. So particularly in relation to slide film, like I thought, well, why would you want to change the ISO for? That would just, you know, muck up the, the exposure and all that kind of stuff. I really enjoyed using the Canon EOS cameras and the zoom lenses, and I think I got some really good results uh, across India and Thailand and Malaysia, and then later when I got to England. And uh, some of the images I've actually put up on an Instagram account called Matt Loves India. So if you go to Matt Loves India, you will see some of those uh, Kodak Elite Chrome slides that I took back in the day, and I haven't updated that account for ages. It's one of my my many many things to do, uh, but I really love the images from that trip. They're not perfect. They're not the best travel images ever, but I, I really like them. I'm still learning about photography and I was really impressed with the results that I was getting out of my camera and my film. 
So there's a real contrast between what I was doing in the heyday of film. You know, there were so many cameras, so many film emulsions available, and I was literally shooting with, I had a point and shoot, then I sold it, and I had uh, two basic SLR cameras, and I used to pretty much shoot the same two types of film all the time, Kodak Gold and Kodak Elite Chrome. That's all I shot. And contrast that to the last few years, of course, we're not in the heyday of film anymore. Film photography is very much a niche within a niche, uh, and you know, the last few years I've actually bought, I don't know, probably 200 cameras and tried out over, I don't know, 20 or 30 film emulsions, which is crazy given that many of the films I've actually tried out have been discontinued by now. Uh, but that's the thing. I, I kind of, so part of the inspiration for this podcast is the fact that I'm really, really enjoying over the last few years, I've really enjoying trying out cameras and film stocks that I never used back in the 90s and early 2000s before I sort of switched to digital. So that's kind of some of the fun of it. It's also tied into me sort of trying new things out is trying out different techniques that I'd never tried before. So for example, I'd never tried out cross-processing film before until about, or oh, maybe 2010. And one technique I'd never tried until this year was pushing color film. So let me tell you all about that. Now, when we talk about pushing film, the most popular type of film to push is probably a black and white film. But as you guys know, I don't shoot a lot of black and white. The next most popular type of film to push is color negative film, with the least popular type of film to push being color reversal film or slide film. Now, having said that, I do actually have a couple of rolls of vintage Ektachrome P3200, which is a slide slide film developed by Kodak that is meant to be pushed up to ISO 3200. Now, it's quite a few years expired, so I'm not sure what the results are going to be like that when I do get around to shooting it. Of course, uh, you know, we have quite an unforgiving climate here in Queensland. It's hot and humid for six, seven, eight months a year. So moving on, what is pushing film and what is pulling film? Well, let me explain. Pushing and pulling film are photographic techniques that involve two steps. First of all, you need to shoot your film at a different ISO speed to what's on the box. For example, if the film is ISO 400, like Portra 400, or Kodak's Ultramax 400, you could shoot the film at ISO 200, or ISO 800, or any other speed you like other than box speed. Secondly, and most crucially, something needs to happen during the development of the film for it to be considered pushed or pulled. If you only do the first step, that is if you shoot Portra 400 at ISO 200 and you get it developed normally, that is not pushing film. All you're doing there is overexposing the film by one stop. I see a lot of people referring to what they're doing as pushing or pulling film in camera, but there is no such thing. So you do need those two steps in the process. You need to shoot it at a different speed than box speed and something different needs to happen in the development. So I'll give you a more in-depth example of pushing color film. So grab a camera where you can set the ISO yourself and which has automatic exposure. So for the purpose of this discussion, let's pick the Canon AF35ML, which is a beautiful, yet clunky, 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 early 1980s point-and-shoot camera. Uh, it actually has one of the fastest lenses on a point-and-shoot ever, f1.9. 
So on the camera, set the ISO to 400, but then load up a roll of Kodak Gold 200. Now, when you start shooting, the camera will choose shutter speeds according to the film speed that you set, ISO 400. So in fairly bright light, the shutter speed might be, say, 1 250th of a second. But in reality, the film inside the camera is Kodak Gold 200. It's rated at ISO 200. It actually really needs twice as much light than ISO 400. So the shutter speed or the correct shutter speed would actually be twice as long, which would be 1 125th of a second. That would be the correct shutter speed if you had the ISO selector on box speed. So if you go around shooting that whole entire roll of film in your Canon AF35ML, and if you're anything like me and you see some cool buildings or beachside or some pink flowers, you'll have shot the whole roll of the film in no time at all. And the whole roll is one stop underexposed. The ISO 400 selector made the camera choose faster shutter speeds than the ISO 200 film needed, and not as much light hit the film. Now, color print film like Kodak 200, Kodak Gold 200, has a good exposure latitude. So if you did do this whole process by accident, typically one stop underexposed film would not be a huge problem. But what if you're not happy with that? Or what if you did this whole process on purpose to push the film like me? Easy. Just ask your lab to push your film. Usually it costs a little bit more. My lab charges about $3 a roll to push film. Now, how much you ask your lab to push your film is measured in stops. A stop is a doubling or halving of light. So in the case of a shooting Kodak Gold 200 at ISO 400, we'd need to push it one stop. Now, if we shot the Kodak Gold 200 at ISO 800, we'd have to push it two stops, 200 to 400 to 800. That's two stops. When the lab pushes the film, they will either change the temperature of the developer or they will leave the film in the developer longer, which will compensate for the film not getting as much exposure when you shot it. Note that this process does not add more light to the image. The only way that you can do that is in camera. However, it does have an effect on your images. Typically, when you push color film, it increases grain, contrast and saturation. With that increase in contrast, highlights become brighter and shadows become darker. Now, if you did this whole process the other way around, the process is called pulling film. So if you shot ISO 200 film at ISO 100, this would overexpose the roll by one stop. For color print film, that would be just fine and dandy. But if for some reason you weren't happy with that, you could ask the lab to pull your film one stop. Having said that, most labs do not recommend that you pull C41 color negative film as it often results in the negatives looking flat and with less contrast. So pulling film is something typically done mostly with black and white photography. And it's for that reason that I've spoken mostly about pushing film here today rather than pulling film. You're listening to Matt Loves Cameras. That's the one you're going to use. <laughs> Now, you might be thinking at this stage, well, why did you decide to push color film, Matt? Great question, audience. Let me tell you why. 
Six months ago, I treated myself to a new camera. It's a small, compact point-and-shoot that I'd wanted for years. When I looked at buying this camera around 2015, it was really expensive, as the camera was a Japan-only release. By the start of 2021, I started looking at these cameras again. And the funny thing is that although the costs of many other cameras, film cameras, have skyrocketed, this model hasn't changed that much. I am, of course, talking about the Fujifilm Natura F 1.9 camera. Now, we'll be doing a full review of this camera in the coming weeks or months, so I won't tell you too much about it other than a couple of its key features. It has an ultra-wide 24mm fixed lens. Along with the Canon AF 35ml I was talking about earlier, it has the fastest aperture ever seen on a point-and-shoot f1.9. Unlike other Fujifilm premium compact point-and-shoots, you cannot shoot in aperture priority with this camera and you cannot set the ISO speed for the camera, which is a little bit annoying. However, it does have one little trick up its sleeve. When you load ISO 1600 film or faster in the Natura, it goes into natural photo mode. And what is natural photo mode? Well, the camera automatically shoots wide open at f1.9. It also adds some exposure compensation uh, to, to make up for that aperture. So I've enjoyed shooting a few rolls of Natura 1600 through the camera, as well as some rolls of Ilford Delta 3200. But I was thinking, well, what happens when I run out of these high-speed color films like Natura 1600? I won't be able to shoot color film in the camera anymore with that natural photo mode. I'll have to shoot black and white, which, as you know, is not really my thing. <laughs> However, there is a way to fool the camera into thinking that it has ISO 1600 film inside it, and I will tell you what I've done. Now, the Natura has DX coding inside the camera, so it reads the DX codes from the canisters. And I was thinking, well, yeah, well, how, how can I hack the DX code on a canister of film? And um, I know there's different ways of doing this, but I took the easiest and laziest way out, and I actually bought some ISO 1600 stickers. Now, I bought my stickers from a place in the UK called First Call Photographic, but I'm sure there's loads of places all over Europe and North America as well. Uh, that sell these stickers. I couldn't find any in Australia, so that's why I bought them from the UK. So it's a strip of stickers that you buy. You have to cut them up with scissors. And at first I wasn't quite sure where to cut, but I, I figured it out, dear listeners. And then you stick the ISO 1600 label onto your roll of film and you stick it in your, your Natura or any other camera you have. And it can fool the camera into thinking that you have loaded ISO 1600 film. So the first time I did it, I had a, a roll of Lomo 800, put the sticker on and I put it in the Natura. Now, it doesn't actually display the ISO at all on the Natura. So there's only one way of knowing whether you've put the sticker on correctly. And that is if the, the NP, which is the natural photo uh, symbol, if that comes up on the back of your camera after you've loaded the film, then you've done it. You've, you've successfully put your sticker on the, on the roll and it's fooled the camera into thinking it's ISO 1600 film. Um, now, a couple of times, the first time I did all this, it was perfect. The second time I did it, I mashed it up somehow. I don't know what I did, but I didn't do it right. And I put the film 
in and out of the camera about three times, uh, which is really annoying uh, because what the Natura does is it pre-winds the film. So, you know, most cameras, you, you put the film in and it just you put the leader in and then it rolls a bit more to frame one and then it shoots the whole roll and then at the end it rewinds all the film back into the canister, right? That's what most cameras do, not the Natura. As soon as you put the film in the Natura, it, it rolls the film all the way to the end and then comes back a tiny bit and gives you, uh, it says 36 on the camera and it counts down from 36 instead of counting up from one. Uh, so every time I mashed the sticker up and I didn't do it correctly, I then had to wait for the uh, the camera to wind all the film all the way out and then I have to come all the way back in and then I have to fiddle around the sticker and do it again. Um, but hopefully, I think I know what I did wrong with the second roll and hopefully when I try my third roll I'll get it right it's not hard it's just you know sometimes these things are a bit annoying so after I shot my rolls of film with the ISO 1600 sticker stuck on the roll of Lomo 800 of course that is underexposing the film by one stop. The camera is using shutter speeds as if the film inside is ISO 1600, but it's only ISO 800. It's not as sensitive to light. It needs more light than ISO 1600. So of course you make up for that when you send your film to the lab. You make up for that by telling the lab to push the film one stop. And the first roll I had back of this film, I was absolutely in love. I really, really love the images. There's a lot of nighttime shots uh, which look really cool and contrasty. Uh, and then there's also some daytime shots, which do look on the overexposed kind of side. Now, I've had a look in Lightroom at these images and they're not, the highlights are not blown out, you know, because of course, pushing film, there's, a, there's an increase in the uh, in the contrast and the, the shot and the highlights do go a bit brighter, but they're not blown out at all. Uh, it do, they do look some of, quite bright though, some of the daytime shots, but I really like the look. I like, I love the look of the colors, uh, both the nighttime shots and the daytime shots with this Lomo 800 film pushed one stop in the Fujifilm Natura. But it wasn't just the Natura I was pushing film in. I also, at the same time, I also shot a roll of Lomo 800 in my Fujifilm Class S. And with the Fujifilm Class S, I was able to set the ISO, override the DX coding, and in the menu, set the ISO to 1600. So I set the ISO to 1600. I loaded up the 800 speed film. And then when I had it sent for developing again, I told the lab to push the film one stop. Now, it's an interesting comparison between these two cameras. They're both luxury or premium compact point and shoots made by Fujifilm, both of them in the 21st century, which is quite unusual for some of these uh, compact point and shoots. Uh, But they're, they're both very different cameras. I would say that uh, the Natura is more a premium compact aimed at, uh, you know, everyday people sort of thing, whereas the class is more made for photographers. There's a lot more settings and features in the class that would appeal to photographers rather than regular consumers. Uh, And I will be going into the details of that uh, in in a review of both the Natura and the class coming up on Matt Love's cameras very soon. Uh, But that's why on the Natura, for example, you can't set the ISO where on the class you can. You're listening to Matt Love's Cameras. 
now I'll talk through the images that I took with both. Now, when I sent them down to my lab, I send uh, my rolls of film down to Ikigai Lab uh, in Melbourne, in Victoria, which is uh, quite a long way from Brisbane. It's about a about a two hour plane flight or something like that. It's probably, I don't know, well over a thousand miles, probably like 1700 kilometers, which is, I don't know, 1200 miles, long way. Anyway, but they are a very good lab. And when I, I sent these rolls in, they just started doing digital contact sheets of the film. So I actually got digital contact sheets for both of these roles. And you, if you head along to mattlovescameras.com, as well as seeing the images I'm about to talk about, you can also see the digital contact sheet, which is very cool. So it'll be the top article on Matt Love's cameras uh, at the time of uh, this podcast going out. Uh, the article will be called something like Pushing Colour Film. Maybe I'll change it before I, I publish this episode, but at the moment that's what it's called. And at the top of the article is just a brief description on Pushing Film and what I did and uh, a little photo of the stickers used and stuff like that. And then if you see the heading Fujifilm Natura Black F1.9 photos, uh, we get into the photos. So the first one is an image of the contact sheet. And it's really interesting looking at the contact sheet because it's either very dark sort of images or very bright images, depending on whether I took the images at night or whether I took them in the day. So obviously the ones during the day are quite bright, uh, a little a little touch overexposed, but they, the highlights are not blown out. I think that's a really important to note, you know, I'm using color negative film here and I check these images in Lightroom. The highlights are not blown out. And uh, the other, the nighttime ones are a mix of being quite dark uh, with sort of splashes of light everywhere. So it's really cool to look at that uh, digital contact sheet. The first image down is an image I took at South Brisbane. Uh, before South Brisbane gets completely, basically de- all the old buildings get completely demolished because we've got the Olympics coming to Brisbane in 2032. Uh, I like to take images of these places before they get demolished. And I reckon it's only a matter of time before all this, all these areas in inner Brisbane, all these old buildings uh, get trashed. <laughs> so here's a, like an old warehouse kind of building with some nice corrugated iron. It's a nice white colour and it, it's got a very wide angle, the Natura and we're looking up at the sky there. So I really love the whites and the blues in that image. The next one was taken at Manly, uh, sorry, Wynnum, Wynnum on Brisbane's Bayside. And it's a very typical Brisbane reverse sunset. So I'm facing east here. This is not where the sun went down. This is the opposite direction. But you get these really intense colours, these blues, and you get these apricot pinks uh, towards the horizon, uh, towards the east horizon. Uh, when the sun sets. So um, yeah, there's a couple of uh, boats there on the bay. The bay was actually very still, which was which was very unusual. Um, so yeah, I really love that image. The next one down is of Wynnum Central train station. And uh, they've got the flashing red lights there for when the, the barriers come down so you can't get killed by the trains. It stops you from uh, moving your car over the railway track and, and walking over the railway track. And so the, the lights there are in focus, the, the red flashing lights, but everything else is sort of out of focus. So you can sort of really see that F1.9 aperture in use there. Uh, the next one down is a train leaving Wynnum Central Station. And I really love the the overhead train lines there. There's some cool sort of old buildings in the background. 
And I really love the colors, the greens, the blues, the yellows. And it was actually, I remember when I took this photo, it seemed a lot darker than how the images turned out. So, of course, the Natura in natural photo mode is shooting wide open at f1.9. It's also adding two stops of exposure compensation. And, of course, the film has been pushed one stop. So I remember that, Im- that scene being darker than you see there in the photo. But I, I really like the look of that. The next image down is my beautiful son. And um, just looking at that image, uh, seeing his smiling face makes me really happy. And my poor son, uh, this was a couple of months ago, this photo. uh, But uh, my son this week had some trauma. He went to an after school sports activity. And um, the missus and I um, sort of made him try out this. Every week it was a different sport to try out. It was in the warm up of the sport. And the, the sports people made the kids run backwards on the oval. And my son tripped put his arm out, uh, put his hand out, and he broke his wrist. Um, so I arrived at school about 10 minutes later, and he was cradling his arm, and I could tell he's, he's not a... Uh, he's not someone who gets really upset with small injuries, my son. So when I saw him and he was really, really upset, he could barely speak, but he couldn't move his arm, I knew that there was something seriously wrong. And I wasn't very happy with the school. I won't go into it, but I don't think they were treating the injury as very serious. I think they, they thought he just fell over and grazed his elbow or something, where in fact he'd actually broken his wrist. Um, I then had to go down to the Oval and collect his bag. No one had brought his school bag up. I was not very happy about that, but he was worried about his school project and his iPad. So I I went down, got that and took him straight to the hospital. Uh, They were actually worried. He was so pale by the time we got there. They were worried he was going into shock. Um, We had all these x-rays. Um, and then uh, basically he had about five different painkillers. He had laughing gas and they put his put his bone back into place in his wrist. And they, had a, they put a cast on. They did another x-ray and they realized that the doctor who did it in the first place hadn't done it quite right. So the senior doctor did it. Uh, so that was on Monday um, and he hasn't been, uh, he didn't go to school on Tuesday and he's, he, he wasn't very well uh, a couple of days this week, just, you know, in pain, the poor thing. And of course, the worst thing is he can't play his computer games. And uh, he's also um, off sport now. He's basically said, you know, this is what happens when you play sport. You get seriously injured, the poor thing. Uh, but there you go. There's my son in happier times, laughing and smiling by the seaside. Now, I'll, I'll talk about this photo later. Um, I'll talk about this in relation to the Sunny 16 podcast, but we'll keep, we'll keep going through the photos for now. The next image is of the Graham's Discount Tire Store, which is one of my muses over the last year. This is an old rundown tire store um, in uh, Wakerley sort of area of Brisbane. I really like taking photos there. I've taken so many photos, it's kind of ridiculous. But any time I want to test the camera out, I usually head there. And you can see that the the highlights of the image are are pretty bright, but uh, they're not blown out. And um, that was taken on the Natura. The next one down is at Wynnum at night. There's this old building, uh, beautiful old building, and it has these beautiful fairy lights. So I took an image of that. It's almost like it's pretty much complete pitch black dark. Uh, so, you know, the Natura was able to take an image there with the, the fairy lights and the building. And I really like that image. The next one down is, again, it's, it was actually a lot darker here than it looks. Um, but the... The Natura with the Lomo 800 in there has captured this scene really nicely. It's an old like paint store by the railway line and it's got a nice sort of uh, silver and red roof. And um, yeah, I really like the, love the colors in that image. Really like them. 
And the last two images are down by the seaside at Wynnum. This is right in the middle of winter. And again, you, you can see the colours from those beautiful winter sort of reverse sunsets. And uh, there's actually like, um, how do I describe this? Uh, so by by the sea at Wynnum, there's kind of like a swimming pool, and but it's kind of cordoned off from the ocean. The, there's some like, uh, I don't know, tunnels where all the seawater comes in. Uh, and so the first image is like the swimming pool of seawater. Um, so <laughs> it's like a, it's like an ocean pool if you've ever seen an ocean pool, but it's a little bit different. Uh, so there you go. That's the first one. And the one down is uh, right out on the pier at Wynnum. It's not actually a very long pier, but you can sort of see the really interesting colours there towards the sunset, those really apricot yellows. Um, this, one, this time we are sort of facing west and you can sort of see those very bright colours. Um, so yeah, I really like uh, h- how this film looks. Lemo 800, Push One Stop. I think the colours are really nice. Uh, I actually absolutely love the look of these images. Next on, we're on to the Fujifilm Class S photos. And again, you can see the contact sheet there done by my lab, Ikigai in Melbourne. And uh, in, again, is a very interesting sort of, uh, you know, juxtaposition between all those very dark images at night and the very bright ones taken during the day. So going down the images, there's some actually really nice images in this set as well. The first one is of one of the uh, trains barreling along the railway at somewhere along Wynnum, Manly kind of area. I can't remember exactly where, but I really love, you know, the, the lights in this image. You can see the lights of the train and they're blurred and you can see the nice blue and pink um, sort of colors of the sunset. The next one down, we're back at Wyndham Central Station. This one was on a tripod, so you can see that uh, everything is in sharp focus. I can't remember what aperture I put this on, maybe F8 or something like that. Uh, But everything is in pretty much sharp focus, which is a bit of a contrast to the Natura image of the same scene. The next one again is of Wyndham Central Station with some beautiful blues and pinks and apricot yellows and stuff. It's I really like this image, um, and I might even do some kind of zine around all these tr- these kind of train railway images I'm doing. The next one down were some birds. Um, I can't remember what birds they are. I'm sorry, I'm have to go into my notes here. I should I should be more organised, shouldn't I? Um, but what what birds were they? I remember seeing this big flock of birds. And there were some older people down the pier with me. And they were going, oh my God, look at these birds. You never see these birds here. And I've just found in my notes, they were black cormorants. Cormorants? Black cormorants. I don't know how to say it, but uh, very good looking birds, I suppose. The next one down is another image of Moreton Bay. And it was very, very, very still. The water was like glass. And you can see just one little boat there on the horizon. And uh, the film's been pushed one stop. So you can see these beautiful, uh, higher contrast than normal, but these beautiful apricot sort of colours of the, the reverse sunset. The next image down is that um, that swimming thing, swimming pool by the sea I was telling you about uh, earlier. So it's like, it's like a shallow swimming pool uh, with seawater in right next to the ocean. And you can see this, at, in this image, you can see there's like a, a slippery slide where the kids can go down into the water. And at the behind the slippery slide, there's all this like seating. So you can actually sit on the steps and watch your kids or your family in the in this salt water pool by the ocean. So yeah, pretty cool. The next one, I wasn't going to put this one in, but we haven't had a photo of Marshall Dalmatian for a long time uh, on the podcast. So here's Marshall Dalmatian. It was actually very dark when I took this photo. Uh, but the the through the class S, this was taken at f two point eight, 
and um, you know ISO 1600 so you can see his nose is pretty much in sharp focus and the rest of him just sort of fades away to a, a nice black and white blur and he's actually on his um, pillow one of his pillows and his pillows is like a zebra pattern so it's just um, a whole load of black and white everywhere so there you go it's Marshall Dalmatian and then the last image on this page is another of my train shots. So standing by the railway line, I think this was up, uh, was this Wyndham North? I don't know where this was. It was somewhere along the railway line. Um, but always make sure if you're taking photos of trains, you know, be very safe. Don't uh, don't get hit by a train. You won't be able to take any photos if you get hit by a train. Uh, so yeah, there's another image there of, of the trains at night. And I really like some of the, the, the photos in that series. So yeah, I might, might do some kind of project with that who knows if you would like to support this podcast why not buy our dad a coffee visit coffee.com that's ko-fi.com forward slash matt loves cameras and buy him a coffee for just three dollars Now we're going to move on to the more controversial part of this episode. And uh, months and months ago, I was listening to The Sunny 16, and Claire on The Sunny 16 said she was going to push some colour negative film. And Graham basically pissed on her chips and said, why would you want to do that for a waste of time? No point. Um, And I I took exception to this because I think you should do what you want to do, what the hell you want to do, right? So, um, and because I was actually already planning to push colour film myself with the, the Class S and the Natura, uh, I actually, when, when I got some of the results back, I actually emailed some of my uh, Natura photos into Graham. Uh, it was actually a really long letter and it covered uh, various bits and bobs. Um, but here we are. I'm going to play you part of the Sunny 16's July backing paper. Um, I have not obtained permission from the Sunny 16. Uh, so if Graham doesn't like me playing this, he might have to sue me. Uh, but here we go. We'll pick up um, the letter where they start talking about uh, the letter I sent in. Here we go. Uh, and finally, we've got one here now uh, on this subject from someone called Matt Murray. I don't know. I think he's in Australia or New Zealand or something. Matt I don't know. Cameras. <laughs> not, uh, I don't, don't, you don't encourage it. Yes, Matt Murray oh, from sorry. Matt apparently loves cameras. Let's hear what nonsense he's got to say. Hello, Sunny 16 crew from a sunny yet chilly Brisbane. Time is money, as they say, so I'll cut the pleasantries and get down to business. Earlier this year, you'll remember, I chastised Graham for raining on Claire's pushing colour film parade. Graham said it was a waste of time and advised, nay urged, nay told Claire not to do it. Uh-huh. I'm pleased to say he's wrong. Nope. <laughs> A few weeks ago, I loaded up my Fujifilm Natura Black F1.9 with some Lomo 800. What? Unfortunately, I can't see the ISO on it, so I stuck an ISO 1600 sticker on the canister to fool my little Japanese friend. I then shot the film around Brisbane and asked my lab to push the, the Lomo 800 one-stop in development. Attached to a selection of images I took during the day, at desk and at night. Given the price of the Natura camera and the inflated price of Lomo 800 recently, you could call this, this the not-so-cheap-shots challenge. Looking at the results, I'm sure Graham would agree that pushing colour film is not so silly after all, and perhaps he shouldn't piss on Claire's chips next time. (laughs) Apologies to those who are visualising that last sentence right now. As you know, they're Welsh chips, so I don't know, maybe Mm. they'll add flavour. As you all know, it's unlike an Australian to be vulgar, but Graham needs to be called out for his anti-pushing colour film behaviour. If listeners wish to see any of the image, head to my Instagram. Guess what it is, all? It's, it's beep. at Matt. 
Well, I have pinned a series of highlighted stories. Uh, say what it is again, just, John, because I may again, have... for the people at the back, it's Matt loves cameras. <laughs> yeah. So I have included a couple of the pictures here. They're very nice pictures, aren't they? Very nice picture yeah, of Matt. So they're I'm, lovely, I'm, yeah. So I'm just going to interject here. So, so far, the letter has gone fairly well, um, but it's, it's all downhill from here, dear listeners. Let's pick it up again. Um, what I would say is um, I'm not sure what his point is. I mean, they're, they're nice <laughs> pictures. What's your point? I, I guess if your point is, oh, it, it absolutely is worth doing, if you want your colours to be weird, then sure, because those colours are weird, right, John? There's, yeah, they're, they're not right, are they? They're not right, it's just are me- they? It's messed it up. I he's, wouldn't advise He's really screwed film. it up so badly. I mean, he already had 800-speed film in an F1.9 camera, but somehow he needed more speed. So he did that. He got that. Messed up the colours completely. I mean, look, they're lovely pictures, Matt. We appreciate what you've done. They're really nice. The camera's done a really great job, even in your ham-fisted hands. <laughs> so at this stage, I'm thinking, what? He's messed up the colours. What are you talking about? I don't really understand. Uh, you know, pushing colour film does have an effect uh, as we've talked about increases the contrast the grain and some saturation but they're talking about me messing up the colors like i don't know like i I home dev the film myself or i home scanned the film i didn't i had this film dev and scanned by one of the best labs if not the best lab in australia uh and the colors from what i'm looking at the colors look fantastic now they may not be to everybody's taste you know some people don't like oversaturated or over contrasted color film and that's fine you know if you like black and white film or if you like more muted color film i get it you know they they might not be to your taste but i really at this stage when i'm listening i'm thinking what what the hell are they talking about that I've, I've mucked up the colours? I don't know what they're talking about. Let's pick it up again. How, oh, that how, sunset one looks like it's been taken on Mars, doesn't it? The colours are so It's off. weird. It's just weird. Imagine how nice that would have been if you hadn't pushed the film to 1600. Yeah. That would probably have been a prize-winning shot, what that would have been. Now, of course, one of the, the images they're talking about there is the image that I've put on the on the show notes at mattlovescameras.com. So the image they're talking about there is the second image down under the Fujifilm Naturia section. You've got the contact sheet, then there's the building, and then there's that next one down. Now... It's really strange for them for me to hear this because in Brisbane in winter we get these beautiful reverse sunsets where the, the the sky goes really obviously blue and you get these beautiful yellow apricot sort of colors on the horizon so I'm I'm listening to this going what are they talking about the colors are weird I actually shot some images uh that at the same time with different cameras that were not pushed so just regular box speed images and they weren't they weren't really much different to this one here they're a little bit less um contrasty um they weren't maybe quite as saturated but they were still pretty saturated because that's what it looks like in Brisbane in winter on Moreton Bay these are the colours that we see Um, so at this stage I'm kind of thinking what the hell is John and uh, Graham talking about let's pick it up again yeah, I, I would have just sent him a, a medal straight I, away. I, I would have sent him just cut money. I would have said, oh, that picture is so good. <laughs> Cash. Cash in a bag. <laughs> um, but, but no, it's very nice. I think the thing important point to mention here, though, also, is that not only did he mess the colours up, I mean, whatever. What? The colours are not messed up. The colours look like colour negative film pushed one stop. Increased contrast, increased saturation, but they still look great. The colours look great. You might not be a colour film person, but the colours look great but he was pushing this film for a reason he wanted to shoot into the evening and night so he wanted the extra speed claire just wanted to push the film to 
push the film. Not for a purpose. Just, I assume, so she could enjoy the goofed up colours as well. When you assume, Graham, you make an ass out of you and me. Never assume. Never assume. I mean, sure. Listen, each to their own, no matter how wrong they may or may not be. Uh, sorry, Matt. Not sorry at all. Um... Carry on, I think we should just put a little disclaimer in here to say that the colours aren't messed up because of pushing the film one stop. Just so if you are thinking of pushing colour film, it's fine. It's fine, yeah. Well, go to Amado's okay. cameras, judge for yourself. I'm going to say they're messed up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think his child really has a blue face, but you know, whatever. What? My child does not have a blue face. Smurfs have a blue face. The people from Avatar, those alien people, they have blue faces. My child does not have a blue face. So go along to this um, this post on mattlovescameras.com. It is the, after the contact sheet, it's the fourth one down of my beautiful son there on the seaside. He does not have a blue face. And we'll finish off that part of the letter with uh, Graham and John cackling at my photos. Here we go. (laughs) (laughs) Go on, John, carry on. So there you go. Um, The first half of that criticism, I was like, oh, okay, they don't like the colours. They don't like pushed colours, you know, uh, pushed colour film colours. Fair enough. Like, it's not everyone's cup of tea. I know that some people don't like Ektar or they don't like Velvia or they don't like C200 or gold or whatever, for whatever reason. And I know that Graham does shit a lot of black and white film. So I'm thinking, okay, well, he just doesn't like the, the, the saturation and the colours. But then as I'm listening more and more, it's actually becoming evidence that it's probably something wrong with Graham's monitor. So I actually sent the image of my son to a little Instagram group chat I've got with Matt Jones, uh, Alan Ma, uh, who else is on there? Theo, I can't remember, I can't, don't know how to pronounce Theo's last name. Who else is on there? Um, uh, gosh, um, Photo Dudens, uh, Matthew Joseph, and a few other people. And I said um, to the guys, I said, is, does my son have a blue face in this image? Uh, Graham said he has a blue face, and they come back and went no. And they and Matt Jones said Graham's monitor needs calibrating, and then Matthew Joseph photo dudens come back with Graham needs calibrating. <laughs> so I thought that was a great line. Graham needs calibrating. So I put it out to Instagram, and I actually asked people on there. I actually did, told everyone about this whole saga. If you follow me on Instagram, you would have seen this a few weeks ago. And I actually uh, put it to a vote, and I actually asked people what they thought of what Graham said. I even played some of the clips on my Instagram and here we go so I put it out to the vote and the vote said here we go sorry do you think that the colours are messed up with these images shot by the Natura a whopping 94% of people said no the colours were not messed up only 6% of people said yes they were Uh, and then uh, the next question I asked was does my child have a blue face uh, 92% of people said no. 8% of people said yes. I'm a little bit worried about those 8% of people. If you if you can see this photo, his face is not blue. Um, so, yeah, it's very strange. But 92% of people said no, he does not have a blue face. Next question I put, which is true? The best lab in Australia got the colours wrong. Graham's monitor needs calibrating or Graham needs calibrating. So I borrowed Matthew Joseph's line there and the majority of people did indeed choose that Graham needs calibrating. Um, So there you go. Uh, Yeah, it was really, really interesting to see people's reaction to that. Um, You know, people were then sending me comments about how they push a colour film. Uh, The photos are great. So are the colours. Messed up, not messed up. Who made the rules up? These photos please me. I like them. Thank you so much. Nice colours and pictures. And 
analog photography is all about experimenting and creating something unique. So I had a lot of really, really nice comments from people. A couple of people also messaged me saying um, with some not so nice comments about uh, Graham, but I sort of, I think I tried to assure them that they were just trying to, you know, give us a bit of a wind up and whatever. Um, someone else also contacted me. Uh, I think it was Dave the Walker. And Dave the Walker, who's messaged me before on Instagram, he said, you know that Graham's just winding you up, right? I, I think Dave was basically saying the whole thing was just a wind up. But I'm, I don't know. I, I'm not sure it was. I think that Graham's monitor really was having some kind of blue tinge and he really, really didn't like the images. And he obviously on his monitor, my son looked like a Smurf. Uh, but I can assure him my son is not a Smurf. You're listening to Matt Loves Cameras. So there's a few more little things we have to speak about before we wrap up this episode 49 of Matt Loves Cameras. The first one is details of the new competition. Uh, It's kind of like a new competition, but it's kind of like an old competition. That's right, listeners. We are going to rerun Matt Loves Panos. Matt Loves Panos 2021. Uh, Fantastic volume two. Here we come. So this is the plastic pano camera challenge, the second version of it. And so the rules will be exactly the same as the first first version of this competition i will set up a web page on the uh, on the website and i'll also be giving you a few more details probably in episode 50 uh, or maybe in episode 50 i'll be i'll be directing you to the website where you can start entering your your entries uh, but here are the competition rules exactly the same as last time here are the rules number one the camera must be made of plastic number two the camera must be fixed focus number three the camera must weigh less than 150 grams which is about five ounces number four the camera needs to be capable of taking images in panoramic format panoramic panoramic whatever panoramic format uh, this means it can either be a dedicated panoramic camera or one that switches between full frame and panorama modes um, usually achieved by a set of blinds or gates masking the top and the bottom of the frame if the camera needs any kind of battery to operate it is not eligible to take part and you can always uh, check with me if you're unsure uh, so examples of the cameras that are eligible include things like the Ansco Pix and its many uh, uh, variants, the Hanamex Panorama, the Widepick Panorama, the Helena Panorama, the Ultronic Panorama, the Panorama optical lens 25 millimeter uh there's some jelly cameras i think we had last time jelly cameras uh the vivitar panorama cameras uh, also like the ic 101 and the pn 2011 so there you go no x-pans no wide luxes no linhoffs no fujis no horsemen no horizon t cameras uh no minolta reavers no minolta p's no fancy olympus stylus or pentax zoom cameras with pano gates and blinds uh so you've got to remember those five competition rules and uh, yeah, next time on Matt Loves Cameras, episode 50, I'll be directing you to the Matt Loves Panos 2021, fantastic volume two. Uh, we're going to do it. So the competition will be open, uh, say, from September, September, October and November uh, 2021. And you'll have to get your entries in by some date in December. I'm not sure when. So the, the entry period for this competition is a lot less. It's a lot shorter than the purple competition. The purple competition rolled on forever um and we still we're still putting the zine together and doing all that kind of stuff but this one has got a much shorter entry uh time period so get out there you should have your plastic pano cameras already most of you get out there and shoot a roll through that and again it'll be probably the best four you can send in up to four images you can send in 
Now, the exciting news of Matt Loves Pano's Competition 2021 is a fantastic segue because I had a letter or an email from Andrew Spencer in New Zealand. Andrew, of course, won Matt Loves Pano's uh, and he put, he writes, Hi, Matt, I've just enjoyed the second half of The Purple Judging. I totally missed the boat with this. I bought film, which is still in the fridge, but got so busy with work and family stuff that it didn't happen. Thanks for the great work and looking forward to your next scheme. <laughs> I have many schemes on the go. Uh, thanks, Andrew. So there you go, Andrew. If you want to try and defend your cheap panorama crown now is the time get out there in kaikoura in new zealand and shoot some more panos and uh just for reference andrew got out there i can't remember what camera he shot with i think it was an ansco pix was it and i, I think I'm, i know for sure that he shot with ektar uh so get ektar is actually a very good film to shoot with these cameras so you know maybe treat yourself to a roll of ektar and get out there i did shoot a roll of portrait through one of my um cheap uh plastic pano cameras uh, which is a lot of money that the, the portrait was worth more than the camera uh portrait just didn't look any good i mean maybe it was just the the the, the climatic conditions the the weather and the and the light when i was shooting but it just didn't look very good uh, ektar on the other hand looked absolutely fantastic so i think i'll be shooting ektar for this one I had another letter or another email. I, I like saying letter for some reason. I'm not sure why. It sounds a bit more romantic, a letter, getting a letter in the post, doesn't it? But it was actually an email. It was an email from good friend of the show, J.M. Golding. Of course, J.M. lives over there in California and coordinates the 127-day online exhibitions through the website jmgolding.com. And J.M. writes, Hi, Matt. I've just listened to part one of the Lomochrome Purple judging episode. Thanks to you and Kate for your kind words about my photos. Thank you so much for extensively encouraging people People to participate in 127 Day. Of course, the, the last one was the 12th of July. I'm excited to hear that you're planning to join in this July too. Uh, obviously, this, this email was probably from June, I think. I'm looking forward to seeing your photos with the Imperial Satellite. Uh, looking forward to part two of the purple judging with suspense happy photographing jm golding uh now i actually did get out there on 127 day on the 12th of july i got out there with my bencini comet my silver metal italian 127 camera and i had some uh, black and white film in that and i also got out there with some beautiful kodak gold in my uh, imperial satellite and um, i did get those um films developed it was actually a bit of a hassle um trying to get them developed i couldn't get them basically long story short i couldn't get them developed and scanned on time to send in for the 12th of july which was a real shame um, I did have to, we had a lot of lockdowns here around um, June, July, uh, both in Brisbane and Sydney and Melbourne. And I actually had uh, a lot of problems finding a lab that would develop and scan my 127 images. In fact, I couldn't find a lab that would do it. Uh, so in the end, I had to send my 127 film, my, my C41 and my black and white down to Sydney. They developed the film for me and then posted it back, which uh, was fairly quick by the time they did it. But because of the lockdowns, it was well past the, the 12th of July. And I did get some cool images on there. I just, I've still got to um, scan them properly. Um, but now, uh, yeah, I'm like, have to be really organized hopefully i'll be able to participate in the december 127 day and i will be doing an episode uh probably later on this year you know probably maybe november time about these 127 cameras uh so look forward to that this next email comes from somebody also in the United States, I believe. It's from Molly. And Molly wrote to me in July, late July, and said, just wanted to say thanks for the recent inspiration. Your photos are awesome and absolutely love the podcast. 
I've been shooting digital, but now just rediscovering film. And honestly, it's kicking my ass. <laughs> I think it kicks out all of our asses, actually, Molly. Uh, it wasn't. I wasn't good at it 20 years ago, and apparently I still suck. Uh, I'm pretty sure I follow Molly on Instagram, and she does not suck at all. Her photos are great. I'm not giving up yet, though, so keep up the inspirational photos and content coming. It's much needed and appreciated. Have a great day, Molly. And I did take a while to get back to Molly on the email. I'm so sorry, Molly, but I did reply. Um, so I hope you got that. And I hope you're listening, and I hope you're still out there shooting film. The next email is from Garish in Malaysia. Hello, Garish. Um, Malaysia, of course, is a country I haven't visited since 1998. And that's actually one of the countries where I shot that beautiful elite chrome uh, that I was talking about earlier in this episode. And Garish sent me a couple of photos uh, they took in Malaysia with using Lomachrome Purple Film. A little bit late for the competition, sadly, but they are really lovely photos taken in a park. Which park was it? Sorry, it was called Lake Gardens in Taiping, Malaysia. Malaysia. And Garish took these with um, a Contax G2 and that beautiful Zeiss 45mm f2 lens. Of course, I've got the same combo, but I've got the, the Contax G1. And Garish wrote, writes, I'm a fairly new photographer and all the pictures were taken at the Lake Gardens. I'm attaching two pictures. Most of the role turned out well. Um, not for anything, but a belated effort to be part of something. Fantastic. Great to see that, Garish. None of the pictures were edited by me and they appear as scanned by Darkroom 8, a Malaysia film lab so then I followed that up and I, I wrote back again it was a bit of a delay it's a bit of a Matt Loves Cameras delay replying to people I'm so sorry and uh, I did reply to Garish and I said um, thank you so much for sending me these lovely photos and you know what's the film scene like in Malaysia and Garish writes um, what does Garish write film photography is established in Malaysia to the extent that there are scattered film enthusiasts around we have about three or four maybe private dark rooms which process and scan film they charge about 15 Malaysian dollars for a single roll of film process and scan which is about 4.9 Australian dollars which is probably I don't know maybe $3.80 US or something like that I envy the collecting pooling of knowledge and opinions as regards to what you have on your site and your followers in general what, and what I see taking place overseas. We don't have something like that here. Film is often something that is considered a pastime and its costs are not borne well due to the economy. We have a thriving second-hand market for film cameras though. In Malaysia, there is always a thriving market for second-hand and third-hand and fourth-hand things. I'm rather new to film, but I have the benefit of starting with huge resources available online to guide me. That's absolutely wonderful. A wonderful way uh, the internet, of course, is bringing together people all over the world. So it's, uh, it really um, it filled me with a lot of joy to read that what that Grish wrote. It's been a glorious four months of using film so far. Aside from the contacts, I have a Yashka Mat 124G and I'm exploring options to purchase a Hasselblad body. Very nice. So there you go. That was some of the email from Greece. She also says, I hope you and your family are well. Thank you so much, Greece. And that goes to you as well. And uh, I also attached a couple of more photos, which are absolutely stunning. So um, uh, absolutely wonderful work there. So yeah, Greece, keep shooting film in Malaysia. I hope to get back to Malaysia one day. I haven't been there for, what, 23 years? Gosh, such a long time. Um, but a fabulous part of the world. I really enjoyed it. I went to KL and Penang and I went somewhere else I can't remember where else I went a couple of other places I went to uh, but it was really wonderful Uh, so thank you so much to Garish in Malaysia 
And now to finish off the podcast, I'm going to talk about somebody who I've been chatting to a little bit closer to home. Uh, this is, of course, a, a new YouTuber, and her name is Lucy Lumen. She lives down on the Gold Coast with her partner, Lux, Lux Lumen, and you can find them on Instagram. Uh, Lucy is Lucy underscore Lumen, L-U-M-E-N. And if you go to Lucy's bio, you'll see the uh, the Instagram handle of her partner, Lux. And um, Lucy has started up a, a YouTube channel and Lux does a lot of the videography and the music and stuff like that. And it's a really, really wonderful channel. It's it's come on leaps and bounds since it started th- just three months ago. I think there's like 20 videos on uh, the Lucy Lumens channel now. It's called Lucy Lumens Analog Adventures. So I would urge you all to check it out. I've had a lot of fun watching Lucy's videos. I haven't watched them all. I think I've watched maybe out of the 20, I reckon I've watched about 15. There's a couple there. I haven't watched a few there. I haven't watched yet. Um, but a lot of Lucy's, uh, videos, uh, her thoughts on film, you know, film emulsion reviews, camera reviews, and other topics related to film photography. And I really love the Lucy's film photo walks. They're all shot on Queensland's beautiful Gold Coast, uh, which is like I said, just down the road from where I live. Um, so, uh, very, very exciting actually, because tomorrow I'm actually going down to meet Lucy and Lux. And I think we're going to shoot a video together. Uh, so yeah, I'm really, really excited. I better make sure my hair looks good. Um, you know, people say that I've got a really good face for podcasting. Um, I think that's a compliment. I'm not quite sure. Um, but I'm really looking forward to that. I think we're going to swap cameras. Uh, we're going to take a point and shoot each and we're going to swap cameras and shoot some Ektar. And, um, I've actually got a few little gifts for Lucy as well. Um, so nothing, nothing too exciting. So Lucy, if you are listening to this before I meet you tomorrow, don't, do not get too excited about the gift. Um, so there you go. So I'll, I'll let you for, uh, look forward to that. Um, I'll give you the link probably next episode. But, you know, go across to Lucy Lumen's Analog Adventures and I'm sure you'll probably see the episode uh, before the 50th uh, episode of Matt Loves Cameras has dropped. Now, Lucy's, one of Lucy's messages was about one of the episodes I did. It was in November last year. It was called You Are the Magic, What an Advertising Legend Can Teach Photographers. And it was all based around this beautiful little book I've got um, by a guy called Paul Arden. He was a, uh, a British PR advertising guy. And the book is called It's Not How Good You Are, It's How Good You Want to Be. And uh, it's uh, there's a lot of little rules about create not rules, but little tips and hints about creativity from the book that I took and um, I sort of applied them to film photography. And Lucy wrote and she said to me in messages... The episode about Paul Arden, the Saatchi and Saatchi guy, I found it so interesting and I love the way that you applied it to photography. Every tip was useful and it made me really think about things differently. I liked what you said about not seeking praise and rather looking for constructive criticism as that is something you can learn and gain from. Uh, so there you go. So if you want to check that out, get along to the, the back catalogue of Matt Loves Cameras and that one's a few episodes back. It's called You Are The Magic, What An Advertising Legend Can Teach Photographers. And thanks to Lucy so much for the kind words. Um, as I said, I'm a big fan of her YouTube channel. I don't actually watch a lot of YouTube, but I have been watching more of it, more of it lately. I've been watching things like uh, Jess Hobbs and Dave Mahali, the old camera guy and of course Lucy Lumen and um, you know one of the things that's uh, so great about Lucy's channel is that Lucy has a real enthusiasm and a a natural charisma that shines through in her videos and um, that's all going to be completely smashed apart if I star in one as well Um, but no I am really looking forward to doing that I think that's it for this episode of Matt Loves 
cameras. Now, while I've been sitting here recording this, I've actually had one more zine purchase come through. Um, so there you go. So Anthony Ritchie, I've just got your money uh, tonight for the Purple Grain Zine. So don't forget, guys, if you want a copy of the Purple Grain Zine, you've got to get your order in and get it in fast. Get it in by the 22nd of September. That's it for this time. Take care. I'll be seeing you very soon for a very special 50th episode of Matt Loves Cameras. Take care. Cheerio. Bye-bye.